You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host as always. This week, we have a brand new topic. We are talking with Fen O'Brien from Parcel Property. Sits under the ABN Group. She is a development manager for Parcel and absolutely blazing a trail in the industry. I think a really good example of a young professional, young young woman in the industry, which is pretty rare. I think someone who sets a great example for not only young females in the industry, but just young people in general who have started from right at the bottom and is really making an impact right now. Not only is Fen a development manager working on a number of developments in Western Australia, she's also the chair of the UDIA Outlook Committee, which is something we also haven't spoken about on this podcast before. Fen, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, Trent. I reckon we probably quickly start, if we can, so we can just get this out of the way, with mm-hmm. UDIA. Yep. Generally, the point of the organization and yep. then the Outlook Committee and what you're doing on a monthly basis. Okay. So UDIA is a body that represents the development industry and they have a policy agenda which they advocate for the industry to help improve the industry. Outlook specifically represents young development professionals and is an opportunity to educate young development professionals on the industry and the jobs that are actually available because I think that there's probably a lack of that within universities and high schools. And it's also an opportunity to build a network within the industry. So young people that come out of high school starting in the industry probably don't have much exposure at that point in time to others. So yeah, it's about an opportunity to build their network. We hear about REWA, we hear about the Property Council of Australia, but UDIA, even myself, was an organisation I didn't hear about until I was a few years into the industry, right? Yep. It, it, it doesn't have that front-facing representation like a sales agent you see as a kid when your parents sell your home. Yep. UDIA is not represented by real estate agents or mortgage brokers or tax people or lawyers. It's yes. mainly people in the planning, architecture, design, development, building space, right? Yes, that's correct. So UDIA have a council and then there's committees that form underneath the council and there's, I suppose, different committees focusing on different areas of the property industry. Those committees are made up of people within the industry and they come together, like I said, to advocate for the UDIA's policy agenda. One thing you notice on LinkedIn a lot is yep. that UDIA people seem to have a lot of fun. There's a lot of social events, a lot of people catching up with a few wines on a Friday night, sundowners, things like that. True. I guess that's the way just to get everyone. You know, most of us work in our own small offices yep. around town. A lot of the time we're not interfacing with each other. So I guess it's a chance for people to share ideas and just and just hang out with people yep. who are very similar minded. I couldn't agree more. I think they do a lot of good stuff in terms of the policy agenda space and advocating for the industry, but we do have a lot of fun. I just attended the UDIA State Conference in February down south. I had an amazing time. Yes, there was learning, but there's so much to take away from the conversations that you actually have at those events and talking to people and learning from their perspectives and their experiences and from what they've got to say. So I'll definitely go again. Okay, we've spoken UDIA. I think everyone who hasn't heard about it or isn't involved in it should at least give it a look. Come down to a sundowner, register as a member for a newsletter. Yep. Get an idea about what the place is about, especially if you're in planning, you probably heard about it. If you're in development, you're a young assistant development manager or you're coming out of university as a valuer, all the, this is the opportunity. This is the breeding ground for you to meet your people. We've got an event coming up. So Great, plug, plug <laughs> it, I'll please. I'll just give that a, a plug. Um, so we've got a Learn From The Leaders event coming 
coming up in May. And that's essentially what happens at those events is we have a few different tables and then we've got senior people from within the industry. I've seen the list of leaders. There's some really interesting people attending and it's just an opportunity for these people to come along and understand how they've got to where they have in their careers and ask them any questions that they'd like to to ask. I think that's a fantastic idea. I I wish we had more of that when we were younger. Yeah. Let's move on to yourself, Fen, because you're someone I've watched grow through the industry the last few years, right from being an executive assistant at the AVM Group, and I'd love you to talk to the experience you've had in growing there. Yep. But now you're really a part of managing yourself, some prominent developments in the land space, especially for yep. parcels. So if you can give us a little bit of an elaboration on how it all started, how you got that yep. first job, what you were doing, who you're working for, and what you're doing today. I kind of came into the development industry the back way. I finished high school and started doing a degree at Notre Dame and that was marketing public relations and then I kind of just decided I need a bit of a break before getting into this and my mum was like well you need to get a job as Mm. parents do so I got a job working at Celebration Homes which is one of the residential building companies under the ABN banner so started off as an office junior doing filing yeah putting together brochure packs like they had back then so I worked there for about five years and kind of transitioned there through a few different roles and eventually ended up as a personal assistant and then an opportunity came about to actually work for the general manager of the property development side of ABN which is now called Parcel Property. And you didn't have I guess a lot of context about what exactly was going on there at the time I assume. No no I obviously took the role knowing that it was going to be a bit more challenging which was what I was looking for at the time and it was a whole new world. As an EA having exposure to the property industry yeah I was just like wow this is really different it's really interesting it's exciting it's exciting things are happening we're not just transacting on house and land packages here we're actually building things yes yeah and so i went back to Curtin and started doing a commerce degree majoring in property after i made that commitment to myself my now manager he took me under his wing and gave me the opportunity to work as assistant development manager i had absolutely no idea what i was doing but normally what assistant development managers start working on is fencing and landscaping packages parks. I started working with the landscaping consultants to design parks and a few few different things like that. And then I took on a project that had already started just because starting off a project from the actual beginning is a lot harder than kind of taking a project that's already got a lot of the... Foundations laid. It's like anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So my first project was Living Edge in Wellard, which is a 188 lot development. And that's just finishing up now, isn't it? Yes, that's just finishing up now. So how long has it been since you started there to now? So I started working on that project, I think, in 2018. Yeah, But obviously the market was completely different then to what it is now. I'm assuming nothing was selling in 2018. It wasn't very fast. But then um, I think in 2020, even before COVID came about, the market really started to pick up. And then obviously the stimulus came in and that's, you know, everything then got snapped up. Yep. So that's just finished. So you started on Living Edge and how has it progressed? Now I've got six projects at various stages of the process. So Living Edge, which is finishing off, which probably sounds like there's not a lot to do at that stage of the project, but you know, there's still- Aftercare is a lot. Just like with any build, for example, there's that sting in the tail at the end of all the little things you have to tie up. Exactly. Loose ends. So it's one of those things where you've got to make sure that it doesn't drag on too long. Otherwise it, it would never be finished. And then I've got two projects under construction and two projects that are in the planning phase. 
let's talk about that planning phase because the construction side is the i guess the exciting sexy part where you start seeing all the tractors out there moving dirt around and yep. retaining in and all the services start coming in yeah but we're development managers in the land space and this is this is where you focus then uh, where you really i guess earn your bread is getting these things from a rural perspective where it was someone's acreage that used to be a farm to turn that in through the planning process into something that legally can be split up into 200 blocks for example so as a development manager we haven't spoken about this role at all on the podcast before you're not a town planning expert you're not a landscaping expert you're not a water engineer you're not a civil engineer but as a development manager your job is to herd all of these experts together to this outcome of eventually the 200 lots that you guys will sell one day i would assume your day-to-day is different every day yep. because you have a hundred different things happening over a hundred yep. different days yep. all working towards the same outcome. Would I be correct in that? Yeah, you're right. No day is ever the same. And you think that you've got to a point in your career where you've faced every single obstacle and then something completely different comes up. So I think every day is always different. You're always learning. And that's probably one of the things that I love most about the job. I think the other thing that makes the, the job every day different is for me personally, I'm working across six different projects that are all at six different stages of construction. And so for one job, I'm working across planning com- components and meeting with different agencies to try and get that MRS amendment approved or that district structure plan approved. Or for another project, which is on the ground, I'm then going to site and checking that the construction is on program, that things are being constructed, that the way that they're meant to be constructed. And then for another project, I'm designing a park and making sure that that is being implemented in the correct manner. I guess one of the tough things about being in the land development space, it takes years to see an outcome. Yep. You've taken on a a development halfway through in 2018 and you're just seeing it finishing in 2022. Probably will stretch into 2023 when all things are said and done. Yep, exactly. You've told me about projects off air that you're still years away from even starting getting on the construction ground. How do you take that in terms of a lot of people need to see an outcome to be able to be fulfilled in their job whereas you're really enjoying the journey a lot of the time I think it's enjoying the goals that you kick along the way while the ultimate goal is obviously to see the development on the ground it's actually really rewarding as you get through this for example the planning process and you hit particular milestones on one of my projects we just it just got announced a week or so ago that we've got 50 million dollars federal funding to construct an intersection And so that's an incredible milestone for a project. So while we might not have hit the ground yet, we're definitely high-fiving each other because that's a major milestone for the project. Where do you see yourself in five, ten years? Are you still in this industry? Are you still in this role? Are you pushing through becoming the general manager of a development firm, whether it's this one or another one? Where is Fan O'Brien in five, ten years? So I'll talk UDIA space at the moment. I'm chair of the Outlook Committee. And I suppose for me, where do I see myself right now I'm creating awareness of the industry for young development professionals and helping people within the Outlook Committee get exposure to the other policy committees. For me personally, that's where I would like to go next. I'd like
right to be on a policy committee actually helping advocate for change within the industry and putting that information together together to help UDIA advocate for change. So I suppose that would be the next step there for me. But career-wise, yeah, well, my boss says I'm going to take his job one day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, it's fantastic to see a pathway in that space, right? Public open space contributions, development contributions. I'd love to chat to you about this off the cuff for a second. Okay. And especially given your position in UDIA, you want to affect change in the policy space as well. Yep. You obviously operate in the larger land format space, but I see a couple of issues across both of these. One, in the small-scale development space of POS, a lot of councils these days are hijacking state policy to essentially charge mum and dads what could be 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 grand of public open space contribution in lieu of, in cash, in lieu of uh, land. Yep. On a development that might have made them just a bit more than that on yep. its land subdivision for maybe three or four blocks. This policy, I believe, was yep. developed many, many years ago for people like Nigel Satterley to make sure he puts his parks in so we have good areas and not for local councils to hijack as a money grab for money, mum and dad developers. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think that could ever be something that's looked into whether, I guess, the, the minimum lot amount that public open space contributions can be charged rises up to something well above an infill space. We're trying to promote infill, but yep. we're charging mum and dads tens yep. of thousands of dollars just to do a four or three lot subdivision in... Yep. Sterling. Okay, so just to put that into context, when you're doing a property development, you obviously have to contribute a 10% POS contribution, right? Exactly. So what you're saying is for these mum and dads, they've got a smaller development. They don't have a lot of funding to be able to... No, the development doesn't provide for yep. profit. That would that would uh, allow for extra public open space contribution charges. And also yep. these suburbs, especially in the infill space, they've already got their parks. The council's not buying more parks with that money. They're not doing anything else with this extra money. Yep. I don't see how that affects change in the same way that a new land development in Ellenbrook where yep. we're charging your boss uh, 10% for the public open space or making them put 10% of the land as parks yep. is, is the same yep. as a small triplex infill where the parks were built 60 years ago. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But then it's kind of like, how do you separate that rule for one and then not for the other? Like it's, I suppose it's the same with all planning, isn't it? It's it's a blanket rule across everything. Mm. Does it make it difficult for mums and dads to to participate? Yeah. Yes, I suppose I sympathise with that, but I don't know how you get around that. My thoughts would be lifting that minimum. So at the moment, the minimum on the state policy is five and up. Yep. And if the city has a POS strategy, yep. they could even be down to a triplex. Like in Stirling, for example, yep. if you do a triplex, you get hit with public open space just to split it into three. My thoughts would be that nearly no existing land lots really will be able to be subdivided into more than five or six with the zoning they are these days. If, if they yep. were, they'd be zoned for apartments, built form. Yep. Bring it up to something like seven or eight where most infill development for mum and dads stays under that threshold. Yep. So that, yes, this POS contribution strategy is relevant to larger land format development. Yep. But to the mum and dads trying to assist with private infill in infill areas, it yep. isn't an imposition. Because what, what we have right now, and I'm sure you'd recognise, Fen, is a massive supply issue, yep. especially within the first 20Ks of Perth. One thing that would help that is taking away the cost imposition to mum and dads. Who are the developers? It's not the big developers doing a triple X in Warwick. It's the mum and dads. Mm-hmm. But they get hit with with a public open space contribution uh, at three or four or five. It then kills the development. They end up just doing a duplex instead. No, I agree with you. The, I mean, there definitely is. And there's so many other things that come into play with the shortage of land supply and infill development. Like, you know, 
medium density codes and that's another beast altogether. That's why we've got UDIA here to try and like... Well, that's yeah. why I lobby to you today, Fem. <laughs> when you become the chair of one of the policy committees, start looking into POS contributions at the small scale. How about yep. developer contributions? So to separate this out, yep. developer contributions for everyone listening is really... We spoke about this last week with Chris Bitmeet at Tayback. It's yep. not POS. It's literally money that the council will charge on top of that to amortize out the construction of roads and sewer and all these things, right? Yep. Community infrastructure. Yeah, so... How um, does that affect the development in your space and how can that vary across locations? You're right. Definitely does vary across locations. For example, I've got one project south the river where it's around 7K and then I've got other projects north of the river that are around 20K and that's projects that I suppose that are active. Per, per new lot. Sorry, per new lot. Oh, yeah. Yep. yeah, it's definitely adds a, a significant cost to the construction of each lot. For me, it seems like the city planners when they're starting to prescribe these development contribution, uh, putting their finger up in the wind and guessing yep. and hoping we get it right. So this is something that UDIA have actively been working on over the past three years. So we first started working on it in 2019 and we did lots of research uh, looking at council websites to see how they actually manage their developer contribution schemes and how that's recorded, how much each of the developer contribution schemes are per lot what they're actually constructing within that developer contribution. How the money's used. How the money's used, yep. And whether the costs that they've actually allocated for the construction of each of these infrastructure items is correct. There was lots of things that we found, some of them being that it's very inconsistent. A lot of the councils are recording the information in various different ways, which us as a developer then makes it quite hard to find consistency across... Yeah, to be able to plan, to do a feasibility and then to keep them accountable even who's auditing whether that amount of money was actually required in the first place exactly and some councils do it well and some councils probably need a bit of work what udia is pushing for is consistency and transparency across dcs so implementing a framework where all of the councils record it in the same way report it in the same way and to make sure that those costs are real rather than, like you said, just a... A finger in the air. A yeah, finger and, in the air. And I agree. And the more information, the more transparency that we can get on the land development space from councils upfront about what it's going to cost us for us to do our feasibilities, the quicker we can make investment decisions, the quicker we can add supply to areas that are needed. I think that just makes sense. And yep. right now, what I think the real reason is, is there just isn't the internal capabilities, the internal understanding from the planning teams in most councils to actually really know, because it's a civil thing. And also yep. it relies on real and timely costings. And we all know in this environment, things yep. change all the time. Oh, definitely. Councils can get caught out. Yep. Budgeting for $100 million for this estate ends up being 140 at the end of it. I think the thing is, it's actually a huge piece of work for each council. And so there probably needs to be additional resources to make sure that the accuracy of the information and also to ensure that it's actually updated because the thing is sometimes these costings might have been put together 10 years ago exactly that's how long estates take to pull together you look at bold ibis that's nearly been going since we've been alive yep and it's not even just the accuracy of the information it's actually about when are these infrastructure items going to be constructed so when are their fees being paid how long are the funds being held for when is that infrastructure item actually going to hit the ground Mm. are they waiting until all the developers have developed within the area and then they've got 
all the money they require. I mean, I think you would go on forever and talk about developer contribution schemes, but I think the light at the end of the tunnel is UDIA is being heard and there is a lot of work happening in this space. And I think it's only a matter of time until we do have more transparency and accuracy and consistency across all the councils. I like that. Question to continue on with your journey. You focused on land development your whole career as you progressed through. Yeah. A lot of development managers don't focus on land. They focus on built form. And what, I'm, what I mean by that is townhouses, apartment buildings, things like that. And those competencies are available within the, within the ABN group, obviously. There's yep. a built form team. Yes. Yep. How different is your job to their job? And would you ever be interested in moving across to that space? I have been asked this question a few times over the past couple of years. At the moment, I really enjoy what I do and I love the variety that the job offers and the projects that I'm working on. At the point that I'm at now, I don't have any desire to go over to the built form side. That's not to say that that won't ever happen. I I think I've been working in the land development side for six years now and I feel like I'm at a point where I've like really got the grasp of things. You're starting to become a subject matter expert. Exactly. Why Um, leave that now? Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm not ready to go and have to start that process all over again. So while I'm still enjoying what I do and learning, the job's always evolving and there's new projects coming along and new challenges that you kind of have to face. So yeah, not anytime soon. You know, it's still the same job role, but you're just producing a different outcome. One's obviously producing land, one's producing a built form. And like you said, I think a lot of the planning processes to deliver a land project can be a lot longer than a built form project. Which is ironic because people complain about built form planning process and how long that takes as well, right? But when you think about it, land developments can take a decade you know they can take longer yeah. than that apartments yeah. a really quick one might take a couple of years a slow one might take three to four years right but that's still a lot less than what yeah. a new estate which you know speaking about living edge for example that that would mammoth any apartment development time yeah. frame well i've got one project that i started working on in 2017 that won't actually hit the ground till 2027. And when I was working on the life of the project and the feasibility, I, I think I figured out that I'd be 70 by the time <laughs> the, the time it was finished. So, yeah. Hopefully uh, you have a street named after you at that point. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Fun question to finish off because I asked Chris this last week as well. Yeah. Given that you're so involved in the pulling together of these estates, they are, you know, you have an ownership, I feel, over this. Yeah. Do you have any influence or interest in what these street names are? How does it work? Will we see a Fan O'Brien way one day? No, I don't think so. <laughs> no. Normally, the street names are kind of pulled from the council, so they might not actually pick the name of the street but they'll generally have themes and then we work with our surveyor who then gives us a list of street names that we might be able to work with based on the council preference and then we'll work through that list and kind of select which ones we like but yeah we can be quite picky about it i'm sure that you're having a really fun friday afternoon conversations with the team going all right this is the list what are we calling these streets this week? yeah definitely yeah yep and, and I that's think- a fun part about putting your stamp on these estates right yep definitely and i think it's come down to the outside person probably they're not looking at the finer detail like we do they're not looking at the street lights that go in and what color brick paving you have as collars to the streets or what landscaping you have what's the entry statement going to look like and you do grow 
quite passionate about it. Yeah. Yeah, um, that ownership over it. Yeah. I mean, I've had things go wrong with the landscaping at parks. For example, we just planted a brand new park and we had kangaroos come and eat all of the new plants. Great. And it's absolutely devastating. Yeah. <laughs> so you do become attached to it and, yeah, you are passionate about it. Well, clearly you had the right plants in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I guess to finish off, what advice would you give to a young person coming through high school, finishing off, who somehow is listening to this podcast because their parents listen to it or they, yeah. they, they like the industry? The only interface they've ever had is that real estate agent selling their mum's and dad's home. Uh, you and I, we've spoke about this off air, that we had no idea this industry existed until a few years after finishing high school. Yep. If I'm a 18-year-old coming out of high school or someone in the middle of a commerce degree at university right now, yep. what would you say would be the advice on the pathway to get yourself into the industry as a development manager one day? That's your pathway. Which door are you knocking on? Follow Outlook on LinkedIn and check out the events that they that we were hosting and come and have a chat to the people already in the industry, the young development professionals, understand how they got their foot in the door. I think there's different ways that people within the industry have got their foot in the door. For example, there's the property degree at Curtin, but then there's also engineers, students that have, or people that have done an engineering degree and then come out and got their foot in the door at property development. But a lot of the major developers are offering jobs to graduates. So I think it's about being proactive and reaching out to these developers and seeing what opportunities are are available. I think if there was ever a time to get a job as an assistant development manager in the last 10 years, now's the time. You see quite a few jobs on LinkedIn going up right now. All the time. Yeah. Yeah, There are so many jobs within the industry at the moment. So yeah, like you said, there couldn't be a better time to get your foot in the door. Hey, Fan O'Brien, Parcel Property, UDIA, I really appreciate you're coming in chatting i think this is this is one of those ones that people will be listening back to you'll listen back to in five ten years and laugh and and look at how far you've come as well it's lovely to meet you and and thank you so much and good luck for the year and the projects you're working on thanks trent thank you for listening to another episode of the perth property show if you've only just joined the conversation you can catch up by heading over to our website perthpropertyshow.com.au subscribing to the podcast or joining our facebook page Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!